This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. And we are here together with our Patreon supporters in the chat. What's up, chat? And we are going to do one of our patented bonus episodes. No one else is allowed to do them. We get paid. (laughs) We patented it. (laughs) We own the patent to this. Uh, And this is going to be one of our Q&A episodes, our fourth Q&A episode, I believe, if I'm counting correctly. Uh, which means- and the A, of course, stands for Anon, so everybody buckle up. Whoa. It's going to be a little no. different than what you're used to. Ah. <laughs> Let me tell you about who the real president is. Oh, God. <laughs> Starting off really hot on this one. Mm-hmm. We hope that everyone is doing well, having a good evening. I don't know. You threw me. I'm in a weird mood now. Yeah, um, well, I mean, that's how it feels to have the truth dropped on you, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, so the way that these work is we've been soliciting some uh, questions from listeners via email and social media, and then we will probably try and take some questions from the chat as well. Uh, yeah, this is just a fun time. We haven't done one of these in a while. It gets a little navel gazy sometimes, but sometimes we sound smart. That's the show anyway, so... <laughs> I don't know what you're expecting. Yeah. Um, Andrew, do you want to kick us off with a question? Sure. So thank you to everybody who sent questions in. We, we're not going to get to everything because it was a lot, but we we love all the questions, regardless of whether we answer them or not. Yeah. Uh, so this is from Audrey, and Audrey asks, what books do you wish you could wipe from your memory and read for the first time again? Which goes, I would expect wipe from your memory to just, like, you wouldn't want to put it back in there. But this is a book that you wipe from your memory and you do want to put it back in there. Sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, my first, I would like to wipe Infinite Jest from my memory and read it again. That's the only way I'm going to read it again. <laughs> and That's interesting. That's an interesting answer. I don't know, because I, I feel like... There's probably a lot to be gained out of reading it a second time, like with my feelings intact and my memory mm-hmm. intact. Mm-hmm. But I also feel like discovering how that book can affect you is part of the journey. And I don't know, that was so singular to me that I feel like I would I would like to have that again selfishly. Sure. Um, there are sure. other books like that, but... About you. Let's see. I I mean, I don't know if I have a great answer for this question. Infinite Justice is a, is a fun thing to talk about, though, because I feel like if I were going to read it again, which mm-hmm. I'm not, but if I were going to, <laughs> I think I would want to retain the knowledge of it that I had from before so I could appreciate it more and feel like I was drowning in it less. Sure. Sure. No. Um, I don't. I, I think 
you're probably more right about this than I am. I just had this was the that's first thing I thought of. It's one of my usually, yeah. favorite reading experiences, and so I I would love to have that again if mm-hmm. I could. Though I don't know mm-hmm. if, if if it were to be happen to me now as opposed to almost ten years ago when I read it. I don't know what my reaction would be. I don't know. I'm not the same person. It's true. Um, it's true. If you were the same person, that would be that would be strange. <laughs> uh, let's go to our second question. I'm going to ask you this one, Andrew. Okay. How has fatherhood changed your reading lens? This one's from Tom. Thank you, Tom. So I, this doesn't come up in books a lot. I have a, a, a version now that I've documented elsewhere to anything where kids get lost or hurt or killed. Yes. And usually I don't find myself reading books where that happens a lot. I think maybe there's, if I ever get back into like Stephen King or something, I'm sure some like teenage boy is just going to eat it and I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to get to imagine that it's Henry the whole time I'm, I'm reading it. Yeah. That, I run into that a lot more with like TV and stuff. I find that it's changed my reading habits a little bit more. Like I, I find that it is happening closer to the time we record than it was before. And it was already happening pretty close (laughs) at the time we record, but it's just, it's, it's harder to carve out the time. And so I just end up like doing it on the weekends when I have a bunch of hours where he's like napping and I can stack it together. Sure. Sure. I don't think that you having a child has changed my reading too much. Hmm. I'm sure it okay. has in some ways. <laughs> I didn't know whether it would or not. I just wanted to make that part of the question about me. I felt a little left out. No, that's fine. So this is addressed to both of us, but I can pretend it's addressed to you. This is from Jen. Great. Craig, I put that put that in brackets. Thanks. It's implied. Craig, which book to movie adaptations do you think were done well? Which book to movie adaptations do you think were done well? Well, I watched the movies first and I did have a good time with Lord of the Rings and my feelings about Lord of the Rings are well documented. They got better over time in terms of the books. I, I enjoyed them more as the series went on. Um, the way other, they did the Two Towers movie was kind of an abomination, but otherwise, sure, it's fine. You didn't like the Two Towers? I didn't like the Faramir change that they did. See, I don't even understand. I don't even know what that means. Oh, so in Lord of the Rings books, Faramir is is, is being drawn in contrast with Boromir, who's already died. Because of the evil of the ring. And the whole point of Faramir is like, I'm a, I'm a good enough guy that even if I saw it in the street, knowing that it could like save my whole city, I wouldn't pick it up because it's not worth, it's not worth winning that way. Like that's a bad way to do it. And in the movie, he's like, okay, I'm going to bring you back home to my dad. So he'll love me. And then he just decides not to do that later, <laughs> which cheapens the whole moment. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Yeah, I don't see. I have no frame of reference for that because I didn't read them first. Mm-hmm. Well, now you have the frame of reference. I so. do. I appreciate that. I was trying to come yeah. up. I was trying to see if there were any other like major book to movie adaptations that I felt strongly about. Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park. <laughs> Jurassic Park. Sure. That's the one. I guess that is one. I don't think of that one. I mean, what about Congo? Congo is a perfect film. Well, on a scale of how many Congos. Jurassic Park is my real answer, Alex. Thank you. That's how do they? Who's Alex? That's my answer. I'm sticking to it. Is that what they said on Millionaire? Final answer. 
final answer. Okay, cool. Jeez. This is from Stella. Favorite pasta shape? Mmm. That's a very important question. All right. Let me let me pitch you on the humble shell. The humble shell. And you're talking because about a small the, shell, like a baby shell. I even a big shell, like any oh. size shell. Because the, the thing about the shell is it's got that space where cheese and sauce and stuff can just creep on in there. And I hear you saying, Andrew, isn't there pasta like ravioli and tortellini and gnocchi, which the whole point of it is that it has a secret surprise inside. And I say, no, that is an ingredient prison that the filling is forced to stay in. And mm. you always know what you're going to get every time you bite into it. <laughs> but when you bite into a shell, maybe you'll have secret cheese. Maybe it won't. It's a little, it's a little food surprise. Mm. I, you are making a compelling argument for the shell. Carol in the chat says farfalle or farfalle. Uh, it is the funnest one to say. It is the funnest sure. one to say. And I do like how a farfalle behaves on the plate. I'm just going to stick by that sentence. That's a strange. <laughs> yeah, sure. I like its form. But in general, I, I am sympathetic to the macarons and the shells and other th- other uh pastas yeah, that can take that can take a like a a crisp well if you like baked the top of it oh sure 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 um i feel like a shell and a macaroni can do that pretty well mm-hmm. but okay. farfalle is the right answer sure i mean it's an it's an answer <laughs> yeah oh penny's good uh, too ah <laughs> uh st- so what I will say is bad is that like lentil pasta, which we got for Henry because we wanted to get some more like, I don't know, lentils into him. Mm. And he, he could tell and he didn't like it and he wouldn't <laughs> eat it. Um, another one from Stella. What is your least favorite book you've ever had to read for the pod? And we've gotten a lot of slight variants on this, including um, from Catherine. How do you keep reading a book for the podcast when you really don't like it? And uh, from Elizabeth, have you ever hated a book so much you just couldn't do a show on it? And I guess you could pick and choose from among the variants on the bad book question that you want to answer. I, I will say for how do you keep reading a book for the podcast when you really don't like it? It helps to have business obligations. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's true. Um, it helps to have good listeners who you know will be sad if you don't make an episode. It's true. It's true. Um, I will say that the the book I hated the most was The Girl Next Door. We've talked about this on previous episodes. Famously, yes. Mm-hmm. Famously hated that book. Um, I do think what helps with a book that I'm not digging is going out and finding some interviews. Um, that is harder with the really contemporary ones where there's a little less like written on a book and you're just like, mm, I'm just not... I just don't love the taste of this pasta and I can't, there's no one else who's ever eaten it who can tell me what to like about it. Um, that's tough. But when well, there's scholarship maybe, on it, that helps. Maybe this is my inferiority complex talking. You know, the, the inferiority complex that's the beating heart of any writer's <laughs> career. Um, but when I don't like a book, usually I start by assuming that I'm the problem. <laughs> I don't like it because I'm not reading it good or I'm not smart enough. Well, that's a hard. I I sympathize with it's very difficult to bring that energy to the show. Like, that's not Mm -hmm. a useful conversational energy for either of us. Like, it's a hard thing to to turn into a conversation Mm -hmm. when you're just like, I don't get it. 
<laughs> I just don't get it. <laughs> Those are the best people to go to museums with, or people who just look at paintings and go, I don't get what it. What is this? <laughs> no, Why do they fun. do this? That's fun. People are what? like, I don't know, it's a it's a pear, whatever. What is this, spiders? What does this mean? Uh, Graham says the best episodes are the ones where Craig really likes a book or Andrew really hates it. It's sad when Craig is sad. It is sad when Craig is sad. It's, it's like it's... when the sun is sad. Oh, It's like when the sun goes behind a cloud. Oh, my God. Thanks. Uh, Sean asks, if you could move one character from the book they were in to another that you've read, which would it be? If you could so move... are you trying to make the story better or are you trying to insert a chaos agent? <laughs> like, do, do I want to put one of the Urukai from Lord of the Rings into like Nicholas Nickleby and just have wreck everybody? That would be good. I mm-hmm. feel like I'm going to look up the, oh God, what are the books... What was that book I read? Oh, God, I hate this feeling. What was oh, that good. book I read that had multiple magical Londons? Oh, boy, I don't remember. Magi- I do remember that you read this book. Magical Somebody, London book. I'll let you vamp for a sec. Uh, Allegra says, I bought Palimpsest because Andrew hated it and Craig thought it sounded cool. Haven't read it yet, but I'm excited to. I think hated is not quite the right word for what I felt about Palimpsest. I was really Im- I was. Im- Pressed by many of the things that it was doing, I just didn't enjoy the experience of reading it. <laughs> yes, yes, you seemed to just be kind of shook by it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm reminded in the chat, everybody, uh, yeah, <laughs> about Everyone's the shade, the shades of magic, darker shade of magic. Uh, mm-hmm. The main character in those books um, is someone who Leela Lila would, who's like the swashbuckling pirate queen. Um, would be rad in like a Dickens book. Like if one of the magic Londons was just Dickensian London, but for real and Dickens characters were there, that would be fun. Jaylene suggests uh, 50 shades of magic. (laughs) Oh, sure. (laughs) Get Christian gray up in, in like multiple Londons and maybe he hooks up with himself. (laughs) I'm just going to throw that out there. (laughs) I'm into it. I'm into it. <laughs> um, okay. Want to move on? Yes, let's move on. What's okay. the next one? Uh, Ronnie, I've heard several writers advise against using adverbs. How do you guys feel about adverbs? I feel perfectly about them. Wait. Huh, interesting. Is That's that a good... <laughs> That's, I don't, is that, yeah, I feel perfectly. It's, at, it's adjusting the verb of feel. I think it's one of those rules where if an editor is adhering to it really strictly it to, to use several adverbs it can be bad like if you just reflexively assume no adverbs ever i think that's bad because i mean the rule exists to the extent that it exists because they are overused and often they aren't doing anything but a well-deployed adverb as with many things has its place so that's yeah I was hoping that you would have a good answer for that because you have been writing professionally ever and for a while, yeah. and I have not. Yeah. So. I've had editors who really don't like adverbs, and they edit stupidly. That's mm. what I'll say. Hey. <laughs> Garrett's clapping in the chat. That's not- <laughs> Garrett's with you. Yeah, I actually don't think Carol. I don't think about adverbs a lot when I'm reading. I think about them more 
writing. Okay. I don't think about them at all, which is probably why I have so many yep. that need to be edited. Sure. Great. <laughs> um, so this is a question um, from the chat. Yeah, quick. do it. Um, you want the one from Allegra? Yeah, from Allegra. So uh, is it weird that strangers on the internet know all about you, like your wife's names and favorite ice creams? Is it weird? I. It is a little disarming when I meet somebody who listens to the podcast and I've never met them in real life. Mm. Cause it's like, Oh, Hey, you know a lot of stuff about me and I know nothing about you. <laughs> and I feel like uh, that makes me respond poorly to meeting those people in a way that I hope doesn't make them feel too bad because my response is usually like, Oh no. <laughs> oh no. I'm, I can't believe this is happening to me. Yeah, and that's a that's tough too because it's it's easier to not think about the hundreds of hours of audio about our lives, mostly not about our lives, mostly about books, but that our lives are recorded that other people listen to until you meet someone in the flesh who has listened to them. That is a strange experience. Mm-hmm. Um but about the like the occasional things that people know, like we we're not like living super private digital lives either of us either so like you could look at who we follow on twitter and look at who we tweet at and figure out who we know like i'm not wait don't do that don't steal my identity um it's not hard from context clues even if we didn't have this show but then you wouldn't be looking because we wouldn't have the show what am i saying let's move on i'm not sure okay. <laughs> let's let's keep going <laughs> um what do we got okay uh gloria asks um in your preferred reading genre what tropes will you always love Mm. i will never not love the different words that people invent for money in any yeah in in movies and tv my favorite thing absolutely is when they say the name of the movie or tv show in the movie or tv (laughs) show but i feel like that doesn't i don't get the same like rush from it in a book no 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 it's not it doesn't it doesn't come with a musical stinger or it's not the last line before a cutaway. I'm with you on the money thing. Um, are there genres? So you're thinking like fantasy and sci-fi and like world building yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of stuff. Mm-hmm. It's, we don't encounter it too much on the podcast because we don't read as many of them. Um, but I am a real sucker for a well-made play, like a play, like a Ibsen where in the last 10 pages or so, everyone thinks there is only one choice in front of them because of the various other choices they've made and the guilts that have been laid upon them and the social circumstances. And you just watch or read someone go, oh no, I have to make the most dramatically exciting but worst choice for myself possible. <laughs> and it that to me will, it will rarely be unsatisfying at least a little bit Mm -hmm. so those are fun um also from gloria we'll just do some rapid fire how do you think the pandemic will be reflected in contemporary fiction maybe that's not a rapid fire question (laughs) um and please describe your dream reading location slash experience so that last one is pandemic related for me because i would henry's been sleeping all the way through the night without waking up since like last summer so we're like nine months or something yeah and now that i finally can go out to a bar and have a beer and read a book and like be around people but not have to talk to anybody except the person i'm ordering 
beers from, yep, I can't do it, and it's brutally unfair. So that's my dream reading experience right now. Yeah, my dream reading experience would potentially be like on a mode of transportation to a place that I don't go normally. That would be nice, mm-hmm. and I usually enjoy that and form fond memories about it. And then for pandemic being reflected in contemporary fiction, I'm sure we're going to get some like extremely loud and incredibly close, like maudlin garbage yeah. <laughs> out of it. But I, I would also be curious to hear like what fantasy worlds are people retreating into as a result of the, of the pandemic? Like how can you use it to get to a good place instead of using it to be in a bad place? I think I bet there are books that we just haven't read that are dealing with it like directly already. I have found it a really jarring experience on television. Like it's just part of the this is us world. That's bizarre to me to see. And I'm, I know it's cathartic for some people. Um, it has been a weird viewing experience. Uh, my personal, per my reading tastes, I expect the most successful fiction will deal with it obliquely for the next 10 years or so um, either in world building or stuff like that. And then we'll start to see some historical fiction about it in 10 or 15 years. I do like, I wonder, cause you know how, I don't know, people would have stories about like their grandparents or great grandparents who did things a certain way because they start doing it during like the depression or yeah. something. I do wonder if like Henry, as a 20-year-old is going to be like, oh, da- daddy cuts his own hair because he learned how to during the <laughs> pandemic. And it costs no dollars instead of $40. Jeez. I feel like there might be some some stronger family cooks in this generation than the last 10 years, maybe. Jesse. We have to cook. <laughs> oh, God. That was for the Breaking Bad fans. Um Okay. Marina Lini. Ch- yeah, okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, from the chat. And we've we got a couple of these too. Do you guys ever listen to audiobooks? Not really for me. I my attention will drift and when I need to talk about them for the podcast, I not only do I need to be like present when I'm reading everything, but I also need to be able to highlight stuff and come back to it so I can cite it later. So yeah, I ju- I just it doesn't mesh with how I have to read for the show yeah i'm i'm usually when i'm listening to stuff like podcasts it's when i'm doing something else and that is not a great way for me to consume stuff for the show um which is where i do most of my reading though i did listen to some of the obama audiobook while i was running last weekend and that was actually really interesting um okay stephanie asks um, if I recall correctly, Andrew had some formative reading experiences with Redwall and Tolkien. My question is, what were the books that you remember being most meaningful, formative, whatever word you like, in your childhood? Were they read to you? Did you read them yourself? Have you reread them? Do you feel they resonate? Um, do any of those, do either of those books count, Andrew? You want to talk about anything else from your, I mean, from your childhood? Are, like, I think the, the book I think about is, um, specifically the, third book i don't in the current like publication scheme i don't know which book it is it might be four or something but uh the voyage of the the dawn treader which was the third narnia book in like publication order Mm. and i don't know what it was like it was like peter and susan were gone they were donezo so maybe i i just related more with the slightly younger kids who were left but also eustace who is a big 
jerk, but then he gets turned into a dragon and he gets sad about being a dragon and it helps him be a better person. And that helps him turn back into a boy who's not as much of a jerk as he used to be. <laughs> like for some reason that I, I like that. I like that small, like narrative arc for him where he was a jerk and then he learned how not to be a jerk because of fantasy contrivance. Sure. <laughs> Um, I'm trying to think of, I don't know if I've talked about it on the show ever. I'm sure we've done this show for a good long time. It's probably come up. I remember in fifth or sixth grade, I was reading the book Across Five Aprils by, I'm looking it up now, uh, Irene Hunt. It's a book about the Civil War. And it's about a kid beginning the book. I think he's like nine or ten years old, so exactly the age I was when I was reading. Um, And I remember getting to the end of that book and just sobbing, but I don't think I had the words for like why or how or what was moving me. And it's probably the first reading experience I can point to of like having a really powerful emotional reaction to something that wasn't just like, yo, this is about Ninja Turtles. It's cool. Like that was the <laughs> first time I was like, oh man, books, strong, heart, weak. I got to put it down. Um, <laughs> So and I haven't Can't gone back lose. to reread that book um actually okay. so what From next? Tabitha what book do you wish uh, we we kind of already did this what book do you wish you could read for the first time again but the second part of the question is what book do you really hope your kids love like you love it mm. do you have any thoughts on that I don't know what would happen if I gave a child of mine are you my mother and they didn't like it Mm-hmm. I liked that book a lot as a kid. Mm-hmm. I hope that I can do it justice for a child were I to have one. And if they were uninterested in it, I might irrationally be frustrated. Yeah, I do want Henry to enjoy the Dr. Seuss stuff. And somebody in one of Susanna's mommy Facebook groups was was ragging on Dr. Seuss yeah. the other day. And like, listen, was he racist and like supported the internment of Japanese American citizens during World War II? Maybe. <laughs> I don't want to say who's to say because we can say. People we can, can say, say. We yeah. can say he did do that. But also that you but can just read <laughs> but also you can just read Green Eggs and Ham and it doesn't have to involve that part. Yeah. I guess. And then you and can, I do yeah. like Fox and Socks very good. Hop on Pop very good. Stop. You must not hop on Pop. Mm-hmm. Gooey goo for chewy chewing. That's what that goo goose is doing. Do you choose to chew goo too, sir? And there are these things that just like burrow into your brain. And then you have to remember them forever and just walk around thinking about the goo goose. <laughs> so I hope Henry likes those is my answer. Uh, let me just toss uh, a relevant question at you, Andrew, from I think this is from Stevie. What kind of books does Henry like? Are there any favorite board books? He loves not what uh, you little... like to read. What does no Henry no no no? no. Like? I, I I can absolutely answer this. He loves the little engine that could. He likes all the pictures. Oh, yeah. Um, and he likes a uh, a book called Guess How Much I Love You, uh, which is about like shapes and animals. The way you but the, but the pictures are very good. The way that you said that he likes this book, like. This I don't know. I haven't heard you talk about Henry that much that way. Where in the way that you might tell someone about me, like ah, oh, Craig's really into 
baseball for some reason. Like, <laughs> wait, no, that no, that that one, that one's called uh, "We Love Each Other." Okay, the one he hates is "Guess How Much I Love You," <laughs> which is about a big bunny who's got a little bunny and the little bunny is always trying to say like, Oh, I love you so much that I could hop this high. And the big bunny's like, well, I love you so much that I can hop higher than you because I'm a bigger bunny and I'm your dad. And I just hate how the dad bunny is always <laughs> like one upping the little bunny. <laughs> uh, but Henry, like Henry hates that one too, because consistently every time I pick it out and try to read it to him, he, Let's me. He, I get like a page in, and then he starts trying to shut it and pushing it away. Like he definitely doesn't like it. Oh man, there, there are. You will not find defenders of Guess How Much I Love You in the yeah, chat. People in the chat don't love Guess How Much I Love You, which is <laughs> Susanna likes it, but then we won't hold that against her. No. You want to do the next one? Uh, sure. Uh, what are are we? Uh, Karina asks. Um, do you use a set of general questions or some type of literary analysis rubric while you are reading a book to help you prepare for the podcast? If so, does that seem like homework and prevent you from enjoying what you're reading at all? I don't think that either of us use anything complicated enough to be described as a rubric for show prep, no. but I thought we could maybe use this as a gateway to talk about uh, what our process is, which I think we've probably talked about in a past Q and a episode, but it's been several years. So yeah. What's the, is it the new school? What is that? The people who, who believe that you could just talk about a book without talking about the author. What is that called? Oh, people in the chat Mm -hmm. will know. Yeah. It's a th- I know what you mean, though. And I yeah. think we got a question about that later on. Yeah, actually. where I think one thing, even though it's not like a hard and fast rubric, clearly we think it is interesting and important to consider the author and what the rest of their work is, how that might impact the work that we're reading, and how that might have played into why new criticism thank you karen new criticism yes and death of an author or death, death of, of the, the author, author yes is is related <laughs> uh the new critics is what i was looking for thank you um and yeah so we so certainly you just, you just call yourselves the new critics <laughs> i'm the newer critics what are you gonna do about that jerk i'm the new radicals you just imply that you're the you're the new criticism in town and people gotta listen to you um, shut up i <laughs> Yeah, so we think that interest that and and it's not necessarily that it is like definitely going to mean that you have the best understanding of a book, but it's a way in and that's something that we certainly value. Um and I think on certain episodes we are better at it than others where we try to ask like why a book has been, you know, canonized or has endured or was it, you know, popular for a period of time. Um and some books lend themselves to that discussion better than others. Um, yeah, for for me, I feel like death of the author stuff. Like we we can evaluate a work independent of the human person that that wrote it. That that falls into the same trap as like the view from nowhere objective journalism stuff does. Like to pretend that who a person is and where they come from has no uh, no uh, impact on their work at all just seems disingenuous to me. It seems like you're you're evaluating it without like not non holistically. I don't know if there's a word you know, for that ooh, that I'm missing this, out on, but like this reminds me though, when we did our conversation, our first episode with the, uh, the librarian is in folks, Gwen and Frank up at the New York public library. And we did that Lord of the flies episode. 
Um, like they did not have a tradition of talking about author stuff and bringing that into the conversation. That was also a conversation where all of us or almost all of us had read the book. So partially, I think the format of the show steers us away from like, hey, let's share our thoughts on what these characters are doing. Like you see that crop up in our Hunger Games eps and our Twilight eps and stuff like that. But when it's one person sharing out their read, I think it's harder for the other person to like get into a character motivation or theme discussion without some sort of, uh, you know, context about the author or something Mm -hmm. like that. Um, Okay. What else? Okay. Uh, Let's see here. Um, Oh, this is actually the follow-up question. I knew I put these in order for a reason. This is from uh, Annalise. Annalise, I was wondering if you think artists are the best interpreters for their work. Um, I had an English teacher pose this question once, and I still have not come to an internal solution myself. So, what do you guys think? So, this is a this is a, like a flip side thing. Is like, does the author have a monopoly on how their work is to be interpreted? Which I, I experience as a as a 35 year old white guy who grew up while the star Wars prequels will co- were coming out. I experienced this primarily through George Lucas. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good, yeah. Um, are they the best interpreters? Probably not. I mean, certainly. Certainly it's important what they meant to do when they were doing it. Then, yeah. Right? Like yeah. I, I think you, and and we talked about like literary starting points or jumping off points for conversation. Like absolutely, you should start with what they meant to say. But then I think it is perfectly valid to move on to what they are accidentally saying. Yeah. Either through like the context that they're writing in, or like their own attitudes, or how like mores and things have changed, and and how that changes the work. And how we interact with it as like modern readers. So yeah, I don't know. Is that smart? That sounds pretty smart. That sounds pretty smart. Uh, this is like was anything from the chat? We have folks in the chat asking about live shows. Just oh boy, in twenty twenty two or like it's we were planning another um, Philadelphia one with yep. um who which who with was the it? with the Rosenbach yeah. Yeah, we were planning one like just as the like we were literally supposed to meet with somebody yep. to talk about like the space and what we would need as like in in mid March when lockdowns were happening. Yep. And so that just got kind of thrown out. Yep. Um but yeah, since Henry's older, like we we had we would like to do a New York one, we'd like to do a Chicago one, we'd like to do a West Coast one, maybe with some uh headgum help because they're they're yeah, they're based out there, out there. Yep. but like can't right now we do we do really want to do it though and as soon as like it as soon as it is possible i think we'll find a medium for doing a philly one um yeah yeah that's what i got that's what i got um it's from graham it's a question for me but i'll i'll ask it um okay thank you graham seems weird fine uh craig question how has your work with the theater been affected by the pandemic are you doing okay thank you graham <laughs> um we're, I just think of that. I think it's a broad city gift. Like, am I doing okay? Oh, like, sure. No, Thank you. I'm not. <laughs> Thank you. Um, no, my work with the theater has been uh, a lot of not work. I mean, I'm still employed. I'm very grateful for that. 
Um, the theater scene in Philly has been very inventive in spots uh, with the virtual work that they have done with filmed productions, which anybody who's following theater knows is a thing that's happening right now. Um, but we have not been able to do any sort of public in-person performance. Uh, most of my work is in the education department, so it's a lot of virtual work with schools and teachers and supporting the artistic work that we're doing. Um, and around, I was just on a call today with people around the country and like folks in Texas are talking about all the live shows that they're gearing up to do and they're doing them outside, uh, or they're not doing them because they're protecting their actors who are in the union. So like, it's all over the place right now. Um, I think it will take a, it will take slower than it should for the industry to come back just because it, it to its full form, because audiences are going to be rightfully wary. And so... Mm-hmm like the restaurant business and like a lot of the service industry and performing arts industry, there's going to be a lot of small to medium size organizations that just unfortunately don't make it, um, which really blows. So when I'm, when I'm down in my dumps about it, that's really what I'm thinking about. Cause there are a lot of folks who are not going to be able to bounce back. Um, yeah. So that got real. Sorry. Andrew question. No, from so, I mean, it is a, it is a, it's a real question isn't it um um so hold the on question can i ask you also, can i ask you graham's second question andrew yeah i mean you can ask yourself a question you can ask me a question do whatever you want i guess hey with all Craig's the, in charge everybody andrew question from graham with all the technology press rapidly unionizing over the past few years why do you think technology workers still haven't started a union movement anywhere this is not book talk this is shop talk I'm going to, yeah i'm gonna so i'm going to say craig please stop me because i could go on for yep a while about this because <laughs> I find like joining a union for the first time there was just so much like stuff that is union talk that I had no idea about that like some people whose parents had been union knew about and it is I feel like it, the way it's the way that people who are in like union organizing who are in like the news guild or or, or um, SAG or, or whatever like the way they talk about it internally is completely inscrutable to external people <laughs> And then the way that it is covered in like external media also is alighting over a bunch of stuff. Um, so I, I guess I will start by saying there are a couple of tech worker union things happening. Um, there is a an Amazon warehouse in Alabama that is cruising toward unionizing right now. Um, so that's one thing that's happening. And then in January of this year, could that be right? <laughs> uh, workers at uh, Alphabet, which is oh, yeah. primarily Google's parent company. They've got other stuff going on, but mostly it's Google. Um, they announced uh, the Alphabet Workers Union, which is a it's it's a minority union. It launched in uh, January with 230 members. Um, minority union means that it is it does not have to be a majority of the people who work at the company, obviously. Um, it also means they don't have to deal with the uh, National Labor Relations Board. Uh. And either fight with Google to be voluntarily recognized, which is can be a slog, or have a formal vote with the NLRB, which is what happens when management won't won't uh, voluntarily recognize. So it's like they they cannot uh, negotiate a a contract, like they just don't have that power to do that on on behalf of anybody. But they can like they can use it for organizing and activism. They can accept like freelancers and contracts into contractors into the union which you normally can't do um 
And yeah, and and after they announced, like within a couple of weeks, that that membership had swelled to like seven hundred people. I think I don't know what it is now, but okay. The point of that seemed to be to plant a flag and like protect people, and hopefully to build something that could look a little bit more like a traditional union in the in the future. But to get to the question. <laughs> First to, first to talk about the premise of the question, but to get to the question that in, in tech, it's, it's two things. I think one is cultural. Like people are just, you're encouraged to make your job your life. And if you are not doing that, then you must not want it bad enough. And it's that it's yep. <laughs> like crunch and staying in the office and we're all a big work family stuff. That stuff is just endemic in, in technology. It's everywhere. And for a long time, like the the people in that industry have been very like young, no families, no kids. Like they they've been in a position to work like that, and the only person it's hurting, I guess, is themselves. Like yeah. it's, um, and then it's also that big tech companies aggressively union bust, aggressively union bust. Uh, Amazon has a whole website called Do It Without Dues, which is about how if you join a union, they will take your pay. And they'll and don't wouldn't you rather have that five hundred dollars Amazon warehouse worker who we treat totally great? Yep. Incidentally. Totally. <laughs> and then if you Google uh, Amazon Union busting training video, you get a very fun little cartoon man telling you about how you don't need a union because management has your best interests at heart. So answer to the question, <laughs> it is happening in some places. <laughs> to the extent that it's not happening, it's because of bad stuff. bad stuff sure yeah <laughs> but bad stuff that i hope is gradually getting better as as more media folks unionize as other industries unionize and as people just like talk about it more mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah um okay i asked two questions in a row what do you want to ask oh uh liam asks are there any video games you like that have what you consider to be amazing writing or storytelling i really like rpgs especially indie titles but do you have any choice cuts triple a or indie uh, for instance, one of my faves is Hollow Knight, which is beautifully written. Uh, so put, we don't need to talk about Metroid Prime, which, of course, is gaming Citizen Kane. <laughs> it is gaming but... Citizen Kane. You're right. <laughs> I forgot. Do you, I assume I'll just let you talk about Hades because I just talked for. A Yo, Hades time. is one of the best games that's ever been made. Maybe it's very good. Um, Hades is uh, a, a run-based game. For those of you who have ever played an arcade game know what it is to you know play a game over and over and try to get better at it. Hades has a bunch of very intelligent ways in which it gives you narrative reasons to keep doing the thing that you're doing, which is trying to escape hell. It is also just a really smart uh, retelling and reshaping and examination of the Greek pantheon as a big messy family of messy benches who love drama. <laughs> and they, I've listened to some interviews with the uh, head writer, Greg Kasavin, who's talked about the fact that they removed the concept of like death from any of the characters that you meet in the game means that people actually have to work out their issues. Um, and now you don't necessarily, you're not doing a lot of that interactively. That's not a word, but um it does happen in such a way that you're kind of earning those by playing the game over and over. So like Hades is a really good came out in the last year example of where storytelling can be in a pretty like action focused game, um, which to me, when I saw this question, my brain went to the stuff by 
Lucas Pope, uh, Papers, Please, and Obra Dinn, which are oh, not sure. action-based games at all, but are more about like Papers, Please is about working in a you know like a border crossing station in a fictional Soviet country, and then Return of the Obra Dinn, you're on a magical ship but you're like an insurance adjuster and you're trying to solve puzzles and it's great. But those would be mine. Andrew, you got anything? Um, I mean, Hollow Knight's great. I feel like it does, it's a combination of like the, the art helps to tell the story. The writing helps to tell the story, but also there's a lot of like implicit lore mm-hmm. um, that I think is, I, I like a game that doesn't, have any like walls of text to throw to you. It has a bunch of stuff that you can kind of selectively interpret and like experience on your own. There's um journey. I think is yep. a game that does this well. Um, there's a game uh, for the, I think switch and PC called a uh, greed G R I S that uh, is very atmospheric and, and does this well too. Um, yeah. Shadow of the Colossus is a game that made me feel a lot of feelings. Yeah. About and it, and mostly about like how I couldn't ever talk about a game that I would love to erase from my memory and play again. That's a game that like I could never play again and get the same emotional response. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, oh, also Celeste, obviously. Oh, Celeste, Celeste which is a game about like literally fighting and accepting like depression. <laughs> Celeste rules. And and letting your like understanding of of yourself make you stronger as a person. It's a very good game. Also Chrono Trigger. That is a game I wish I could play for the first time again. Also Chrono Trigger is great. I love all those characters. Um yeah. I need to get a capture card. That's I'm just going to say that out loud so I can shame myself into it later. Why do you need to get a capture card so you can stream Chrono Trigger? That's all I'll say. Lexi from chat says... This is interesting. Lexi from chat chat says, what's your favorite long read project that you've done? I was a huge fan of Hellboys. Side question, who comes up with the names for those? Andrew, who comes up with the names? Uh, It's technically collaborative. Technically. But the one we go with... 100% 100% of the time is some dumb thing that I say. Yes. <laughs> Which has been the case with many th- projects that I've been involved in. Most of I will t- always, always have a soft spot for Homer time just because yeah. Emily Wilson's translation was so good. And it made me, it made the Odyssey into not homework for me again for like the first time in mm-hmm. a long, long time. And then we got to talk with her and she was so great and she thinks we're great, which helps. Yep. And I cannot wait to return to the Homer time universe whenever her Iliad translation comes out. Yep. Because yeah, that was great. Yeah. I think that would be my favorite. I'm looking forward to Don Quixote though, but that was, Oh, we've had fun with that one so far, yep. but yeah. Um, cool. Next and question. Then, uh, Kitty Rhea from the chat. Any favorite live shows in retrospect? I always have a soft spot for the Rats of Nim one that we did in Boston, just because that was one of the. That was, I think, our only show that we've we've done so far that we've just kind of done from the ground up. Like we had a little bit of support from the podcast garage people in in Boston as far as like equipment and stuff. But we ran that but, show. Um, yeah, we we ran that show and and we uh, we put together an audience for it and had a good audience and that, that felt great. That was fun. That would be my answer as well. <sighs> Carol says that the Odyssey wasn't homework, but was it Homer work? Uh, somebody will see you out of the, <laughs> of the chat now. <laughs> I don't know how the moderation tools work on YouTube. You in book jail. Yeah. 
Um, I'm a I'm a hanging judge when it comes to book jail. <laughs> oh God. Um, <laughs> here's a question from Lana. I'm gonna try to excerpt from a really lovely email that we received from Lana, but it's it's long to ask all at once. Um, so bear with me here. Um, among other things that Lana says, I've been incredibly grateful for how often and confidently you call out uh, authors, character situations for being problematic in terms of misogyny, abuse, racism, classism, all the isms. Uh, because I skip around the episodes a lot, I've also listened to super old and super new episodes back to back, and I can see you grow into this practice more and more uh, until the point now that it seems to be one of the primary foundations of your conversations. Um, all that to ask, how did you get to this point, and why is it important for you to mention these issues where they show up in the books you talk about? I'm glad that she did say like we grew into it, and I still think that there's growing for us to do. Um, I don't think that we're perfect about it, but I do... Mm-hmm. I agree. I, I am glad to hear that it is landing for folks because it is something we think about. And I will like I'll be up for, to the extent that we get bad iTunes reviews. They are almost exclusively about this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it doesn't hit the same for everybody. But it's. Yeah, I don't I don't know. Do you have a do you want to start? Oh, I was wondering if you would. Um, my. Oh, OK. Well, my short answer is. Whenever it was in the show that I realized it wasn't just for you and me, like when I realized that there were listeners who were people we did not know and people who felt certainly felt strongly enough about the show to uh, want to know what books we wanted to talk about and what we might say about them, like that, that was like my Peter Parker moment where I was like, oh, crap. I got to become Spider-Man now. Great power, great great responsibility. (laughs) And it's just like I had to ask some questions about how I talked about books and and what is useful to add to the world if we're going to do this. Yeah, like the the great power, great responsibility thing hits for me because I, I have been the beneficiary of many like patient women and people of color and like and non-binary people like all kinds of people who have life experience outside of my lived white cis hetero male thing and but like at the same time and and this happens all all, all the time when you're talking about like diversity initiatives in, in workplaces and stuff like you that work always falls on the people yep. who are already experiencing the the oppression of it or the microaggressions of it or whatever like terminology it is that you want, that you want to use to describe it. And I feel a need to, I'm not going to say that I like personally am doing a lot to lighten that load, but I do like, I see people struggling with this stuff all the time, like in in the, in the union work, Mm -hmm. especially as, as we like fight for a, our uh, diversity, equity and inclusion proposal. Um, and like the, the times does a wider like examination of how these things work within the institution. Like I, I see people struggling with that stuff every day and to the extent that I can't do anything about it from my perch on a modestly successful book podcast, I would like to try and help. So that is, that's my, that's mainly why I try. It's just, and it's also just important to try. Yeah, that, that is it. It's important to try and it is there are plenty of people listening for whom this is something I think about is there are plenty of people listening 
for whom they might not have someone in their immediate circle who feels that way. And it's, it can be helpful to hear someone else voice that. And if we can, if we can be that for folks too, um, and give them a chance to work through their own thoughts on something like that's useful too. And again, I don't think we're perfect at all. No, certainly not. <laughs> but, 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 <laughs> no, mod- absolutely but, but like we have an opportunity to model what it is to try. So why not use it? Yeah, 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 yeah. And it is especially important for us as like the least oppressed class of people who have ever existed in human history <laughs> to like do some work to, yeah, yeah. to, to try yeah. and to model what trying. Great question. Like, Thank yeah. you, Lana. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else? I think we're going to get some lighter stuff now. So uh, Marcy asks, um, I was wondering if you two listen to each other's side podcasts which is appointment television and the bones zone for me and Seinfeld triple X for Craig. Yeah. Uh, if so, do you listen weekly or occasionally? I don't know how you're going to answer about mine. I will say that Seinfeld triple X, which is a podcast about the 30th anniversary of every individual episode of the TV show Seinfeld that Craig does with our good friend, Chris, uh, that podcast is made more or less for me. So it would be, unsporting of me not to listen to it yeah and i do listen to it's it. it's very kind of you it very much we haven't talked about it too much here on overdue but yes we can talk about it more we can talk about it all you want but i would love for people to get more into seinfeld triple you can go to seinfeld.rocks uh rocks which is our domain if if <laughs> Catherine and i had not paid Thirty dollars or whatever it was to get the bones dot zone Seinfeld dot rocks would be my favorite podcast URL that exists. Yeah. Um, so what I'll say, uh, ATV and Bone Zone. Um, I've listened to some Bone Zone. I've not listened to all of it, and I. But I am excited for the end of its first season. Whenever that happens, if that hasn't happened, oh, man, we're that's all I'll say. I don't know if it's going to happen. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it's something will happen. Yes. I, I don't know if what we wanted to happen is going to happen. It is really fun for me to listen to you, especially on, on stuff like bone zone or on the recent Batman ATV episode, just because it's really fun. That that's the version of you. I am like you, what am I trying to say here? Uh, it is. It is. Goofy. You can just say it's fun to hear me like stuff. Well, it's I was. Like... That's not what I meant to say. It's goofy riff, Andrew. That like doesn't always get to have space on our show as we're trying yeah, yeah, to yeah. be. We just answered a very serious question, and like mm-hmm. there isn't always time for goofy riff, Andrew. And that's usually where you get to play on that show, especially because there's three hosts, and you can kind of like wait and then say the funniest thing that comes to mind and you're very good at that but mm-hmm. we don't have time for you to wait as much on our show um, yeah i have to be more like when, when a podcast with three people is i'm not gonna say that there are weeks when you don't like show up but you can, like if you have a lot going on that week yep. or if you just don't have a lot to contribute on a particular topic it is nice to be able to like fall back a little bit and not have to yeah not have to force yourself to to be that to like keep a conversation going when you yes <laughs> i feel like i'm not i'm not sure tr- i'm trying not to tell on myself like i'm not <laughs> it's not that having a one-on-one conversation with you is is hard i'm saying that i do get self-conscious when i feel like you are out mm. ex- like explaining a plot or or 
like pontificating on something and I just don't have enough or what I perceive as enough to like bring to the table. You didn't bring enough show juice that day. Yeah, I yeah. didn't have enough show juice, which <laughs> sure. I guess I mean this is my show juice. Right hey, here. It's my whiskey. Um, but and I'll say about ATV when I fall off ATV, it's usually because I can't keep up with a book club and I just don't make time for that much TV in my life. So when I I usually get back into an ATV listening cycle when there's like a one off like topic that I'm like, oh yeah, I can jam on that. But if you want to talk to Craig about like the what the German version of the mole or the whatever Belgian is, version the Belgian of version the mole. of the mole. Yeah, this is a show. The best show that's ever been made. The best right? reality show that's definitely ever been made. Right now, Craig is watching the Belgian version of the mole and the HBO series Boardwalk Empire. I have so if you'd like to talk to him about television. either of those things, please stick around in the chat. <laughs> uh I assume it's Natasha from the Unspoiled Podcast. Hello. It's great to see you, and we need to talk about doing another guest episode soon. Yeah. Um, is there anything that you all wish you could do with your show that your present format doesn't really work for? We have been talking forever about just, like, streaming us, playing video games, and <laughs> oh, just hanging out. I, that's your answer. Yeah, that one. <laughs> I thought you were going to say. I mean, you could be serious if you want. Yes. But, like, that's a, we we just do that. Mm-hmm. And we have we obviously feel like the stuff that we bring to the table is like funny enough for people in the public to consume. That's a good so. point. I, the serious answer is like author interviews or or other guest. Ex- oh yeah, kind I of guess. like more oh. expert interviews than just like guesting. Um, yeah. And we just because of how much work and time we spend making the weekly show that it is already, uh, it's it's just rarely ever become a thing that we've had time for um, yeah though the tech the technical end of that is a lot easier than it was a yep, couple of years that's ago. true that's true so i mean we we could do it we just haven't sat down and figured out a way to to do it yet yeah um a follow-up for you andrew have you ever played one of your podcasts for henry when you're having a difficult time putting him to bed and you need something to comfort him i have not done that Susanna has been listening to either overdue or atv and i will say something like real just really sick and funny and ribald and I'll make the other person on the podcast laugh, and that'll make Henry laugh. Oh, that's good. I like. But that. I'm not. I, I'm not in the room for that because I can't. Like, I, I'm not going to listen to myself talk. What are you talking? About? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like hell to me. But Susanna has done that. Um, Andrew, you've watched more of it than I have, so I don't. I feel like you are better qualified to answer this question. From books to watch, which show is better, Bones or Seinfeld? If you're talking about which show is like technically more proficient, I think it's Bones. Whoa. What do you mean if by If you're talking about which show has had a larger impact on pop culture and just is a is a bigger institution, I think I also have to say Bones. No. Get that Bones Zone goof juice out of here. You know it's Seinfeld. No one's no one's quoting costume jokes from bones 10 years later everybody's talking about the puffy shirt these days come on yeah everybody's still talking about the puffy shirt i don't want to be a pirate special agent sealy booth's chicken belt i can't wait to talk about the puffy shirt in five years or whatever (laughs) i hate this stupid (laughs) podcast i mean listen we didn't really andrew did like i didn't give andrew time to fully explain it like the way that seinfeld triple x works is that we are only releasing episodes on the 30th anniversary of their air date. 
So I am now in a two-month holding period until season two picks back up in April because there was an episode of Seinfeld that did, quote-unquote, so bad they stopped airing it for two months. I do. I mean, we haven't. Maybe we can work this out on air right now. But I like. I am an executive producer on Seinfeld Triple X, and I feel like you need to do something like they do on Five Four and say that I provide like editorial oversight, oversight. Yeah, okay, yeah, or some. Just you need. I need to be more involved in. In I need to be publicly credited for Seinfeld. Yeah, you don't need to be more involved. You need to get more public credit for it. No, I'm the the amount that I involve am involved, which is that I text you being like, "Can't wait for more Seinfeld Triple (laughs) X," and then I listen to it. That's the amount that I want to be involved. Yes, I do. I do want more credit for forcing you to do. Question for the chat: Did you watch the Leftovers yet? Huh? I haven't because guess what? A show where people yeah I know suddenly disappear from your life feels too hard to watch in the pandemic. I wouldn't watch it right now. But it's what it's I'm right now. Definitely to me, going to top eventually. of my list. It's neck and neck, the leftovers and Demol, and then Deadwood. <laughs> Those are my. That's it. Your TV sphere is so strange. Seinfeld's to me. here. I mean, I, I, Wheel of Fortune's here. You watch Wheel and Jeopardy every night. Uh, you and Laura both do every. It is part of our dinner routine. And then, you, and then you watch the local news. Like, what is? How old are you? We don't have commutes right now, and we don't have a child or an animal. So mm. we six to eight o'clock is like when we catch up with each other at the end of a day, eat some food, and find out what happened in the world, or find out if the Jeez. normies watching K- like ABC News know what I know from Twitter. <laughs> That's. <laughs> What news has made it onto the real news is what I'm learning about. Lana asks, are you worried about the Wheel of Time TV show? To be worried about something, I'd have to have expectations for it. But I am definitely going to watch it. And if any outlet will let me write reviews or recaps for it, I will be there doing it. (laughs) I'm going to want, I think the casting has been, the casting that they've announced has been good so far. The way they've talked about covering that series in a in a digestible like tv friendly format i think has been good Mm. it has the potential to be way better than it has any right to be but also it could be bad (laughs) so that's where i am (laughs) uh do you want to hit me another question andrew uh, one more from the chat. Craig, who do you think should host Jeopardy? Oh. I'm on the record as saying LeVar Burton should do it. LeVar Burton would be a great option. I thought Ken Jennings did a pretty good job. The The executive producer who's standing in right now did a fine job, is doing a fine job. Um, I know Trebek had a couple folks that he had mentioned um, whose names escaped me, um, but it did include some women, and I would be interested for them to try that. Also, he came from broadcasting and was not famous like in the US when he got picked. So I'm kind of holding out hope that they just find someone who's good at it and it doesn't become like a stunt new person. Mm-hmm. Um, someone who loves the game and that that was what was appealing uh, about Jennings as a host was that he clearly loves the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andrew, if Gritty was a character in a book, which character would Gritty be? What's his name from um, from Ignatius? What's his name <laughs> from Confederacy of Dunces? That's a great pick. That's really it, good. <laughs> oh man! Right? 
what is his name? The John Kennedy Toolbook. Um, Ignatius Riley. That's a great oh, yes. choice. Ignatius J. Riley would be an amazing gritty, or vice versa. I was gonna say Smaug. Smaug. If you went in the mountain and it was just gritty in there, rolling around, <laughs> those would be good. I grouped all the gritty questions into one. Uh, do y'all think there is another sports mascot powerful enough to fight gritty? And if so, who? Uh, no. No. And and the the fanatic is still technically the best sports mascot, but no, no, um, no. He, the no. fanatic and gritty are are good pals, and they would fight side by side. Gritty's a friend of the worker. Yeah. And also the only reason he's got the stature that he does is that people outside of Philadelphia made the objectively correct observation that he was bad and scary. (laughs) And everybody from Philadelphia was like, what are you talking about? Get Stop it. We all deleted all of our tweets where we were like, what is Gritty? And as soon as the world was like, what is Gritty? We were like, Gritty is life. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I mean, credit to whoever runs his social media. Yeah. Well, Gritty is non-binary, aren't yeah. they? Um, whoever runs their social media account for just publishing a lot of strong stuff in the first year, like how excited Gritty was about snow and how Gritty was Times Person of the Year. It was a lot of very good stuff. Okay, two, two Gritty things. busting up a store while kids yelled yes. at him not to do it. He, when they that, were going to play the San Jose Sharks and Gritty went into an aquarium gift shop and knocked a bunch of stuffed sharks on the floor and a bunch of kids were like, no, Gritty, don't. Gritty, no. Um, Graham brings up the uh, Philly Union snake. I'm forgetting his name right now, but he does have arms and legs, which means he's not a snake. That's just a lizard. A snake with arms and legs is just a lizard. <laughs> mm, okay. Um, also from Teenage Meanie... Teen- Tootin' Meanage Tootin Needle Teetles. Needle Teetles from Twitter. Uh, I find middle grade books to have some of the most imaginative and unique premises out of all the demographics. Do you disagree or have you noticed this as well? Huh. Yeah, they they do a lot of off the wall stuff, I think, that I appreciate. They have a sense of it. it is easier not to take yourself too seriously, I think, when you're writing for that demographic. And that leads to more unbounded creativity because... I don't know. You're not always thinking about what the like the allegory for everything is, and yet you can maybe get away with some allegory that doesn't have to be super heavy-handed, uh, and can be a reference to things that the reader might not know, and and not have that need to be part of the main part of the text, um, which is fun. You can play with genres. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, Andrew. All right, is this the last one? We've been running a little yeah, long. Yeah, so last thought, one. I thought the last one would be. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how we're going to answer this, from this Dan. one. Thanks, Dan. Have you talked about how this whole thing might end? I'm always impressed with the energy and engagement you bring to the show after so many books, but also wonder how an endeavor like this might wind down. The good news is that I will never get old and I will never die. So, Oh, good. I'm just going to be here. And if you're going to be here, why not do a podcast? <laughs> why not do a podcast? I think... To end the show, something completely unforeseeable and thus like untalkaboutable would have to happen. Like so, some major change in your and my fortunes, or we have a major knockdown, dragout fight about something. Yeah, I don't even know what it would be. 
I don't know what it would be. It's like, it's not fathomable to me. Yeah, I can't fathom it, so I can't talk about it. Yeah. So I think we did like a weird head fake where people were like, are they going to use this question as a way to talk about the end of the show? And the actual answer is that no, it is like the beyond this question here, there be dragons. Like, I don't know what is on that part of the map. Um, and I don't even know how to get to that point where we have a real answer to this question. It's also, I mean, it's also a numbers thing, right? Like we're, we're a little less than a year out for 500 episodes, 500 pretty big number. Yeah. But no number is impressive again until you get to 1,000. So, And then after that, no number is impressive until you get to 5, which really isn't even that impressive. you got to get to 10. you got to get to 10. Like, you got to keep incrementing those digits. So we just got to keep going at this point to see the numbers go up. Yeah. Which is capitalism, baby. Hey, GDP. <laughs> Great dang podcasts. Keep going up. <laughs> Stupid. So, yeah, so we're committing here on air right now uh, to do the show forever. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And you are all by listening. Uh, it's a contract uh, that mm-hmm. you have to keep listening forever. That's how it works. Mm-hmm. Your ears mm-hmm. made the contract. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Can't back out now. Um, that's the show. Thanks to everyone who's been listening. Thanks to everybody uh, who sent in questions. Our apologies if we did not get to your question, um, but we did read them all and answered some of them in our minds and maybe we'll circle back on a couple others later and thanks to everyone in the chat for hanging out and making this a fun rollicking ride and to our patreon supporters writ large for continuing to make the show possible that really is one of the things that keeps this whole train rolling um if you have any questions about uh seinfeld triple x you can send them to seinfeld triple x at gmail.com but if you have questions about our podcast here send them to overduepod at gmail.com uh hit us up on facebook and twitter at overduepod our theme song composed by nick larangis andrew folks want to know more about the show where should they go overduepodcast.com is our website up there we have links to the books that we have read the ones we're going to read click them and you can buy copies from bookshop.org which which gives a little bit of money to your local independent bookseller gives a little bit of money to us Everybody wins, and then also you get a book out of it, because money can be exchanged for goods and services. <laughs> uh, we also have links to Apple Podcasts, our Google page. We have Spotify. We have Stitcher. We have all the podcast mediums, and our RSS feed. If you want to do it old school, uh, and then we've got a Patreon project, which you all know about, but maybe some people don't. Patreon.com/slash/overduepod. If you want to be in our rowdy chat, hang out. That's how you do it. That's it. That's how you do it. Yeah. That's it. Thank you so much, everybody, for coming and listening to us A, all these cues. Yeah, this is really helpful. February being a shorter month means that our some of our reading gets a little condensed. Um, and this was actually a great time to do this episode. And it seems like it was a thing that folks were interested in. So thanks. We certainly had a lot of questions. Could do a whole other episode with the questions we didn't answer. <laughs> anyway, everybody, thank you for coming. And until we talk to you next time, please try to be happy.
That was a HeadGum Podcast. <laughs>